Hello and welcome back everybody to the Orthotog podcast. Episode number 21 this week we are joined by another recurring guest, Akil Sharma. Akil is a med student in Miami and uh, he was on before uh, talking about this weird application cycle that's going on and all the different changes going on and we kind of catch up with him about uh, his experience with away rotations and some of the changes going on in applications and uh, you know we touch on things like these virtual webinars and the resident webinars that a lot of the programs are putting on and what he thinks about them what we think about them it's a very great very informative podcast uh, for med students but also for everyone else who's kind of wondering how med students are handling these changes uh, going on so uh, give it a listen and without further ado Akil Sharma hey can we time out all right all good dudes stop what you're doing this is time out this is the OrthoTalk podcast. Today we are doing a real conversation with an illustrious guest. Surgeons today are Asit Khalid and Jay Chen. Antibiotics, ANSEF, of course, what do we even ask? Fire risk, high due to lit conversations and explosive topics. Any questions or concerns? Nope. All right, we can go. Incision. Welcome to the OrthoTalk podcast, episode 21. We are here with superstar med student and return guest on our episode or on our podcast, Akil, the real deal, Sharma. Here he is. Say hi, Akil. Hey, how are you guys? Akil, um, what's, where are you? Uh, so I'm currently in my medical school, uh, medical education building. Um, we have 12 different academic societies here in my med school, and I'm currently in the one, our designated lab room for mine, the Blackwell Society. Uh, so this is just basically where we have our small group events, any like uh, PBL kind of learning things. Uh, and it's also a good place to study. It's like 24-7 air is this, where you, is this where you live now? <laughs> uh, pretty much, yeah. Ever since first year, yeah. It's been, it's been a real uh, home for me. My gosh. Well, what, what, are you, uh, what have you been up to since we talked to you last? Are, are you done rotations yet? Uh, yeah, so I did uh, spine and joints, uh, which is a new rotation for us this year for med students. And then I have a tumor coming up in two weeks, I think. And then I have my trauma sub-I for ortho in uh, November. Are each of those one month longer? Sorry? Yeah, no. So um, spine and uh, joints were two weeks each. Tumor is also going to be two weeks, but trauma is uh, four weeks. Remind us your situation. Where, where are you at right now? Right. So I'm at the University of Miami Med School, uh, fourth-year medical students at Applying the cycle, uh, apps go out October twenty first, so a little over, a little under a month from now. Um, that's so, put that's pushed back from usual, right? Exactly. It yeah. used to be like September fifteenth ish, right? Something yeah, like think, that. Yeah, I think so. I think uh, earlier this year in June or maybe May, they announced that they were going to push back everything because of COVID, uh, give people more time to get rec letters and stuff, because a lot of med schools took a hiatus right around the beginning of Corona. Yeah, so, so how's it been? You guys are all back on campus now? Yeah, pretty much. So around, actually, the last time we guys, uh, we all talked, my med school was debating whether or not they were going to allow students to rotate. Yeah, at, I remember that. At, yeah, at our county hospital. So they made the decision that we were going to be able to. And so everything is pretty much back to normal. Uh, we're able to function at full capacity. We're still only allowed to wear scrubs, no clinical attire, which I guess is easier because yeah. it makes your attire every day like, much easier. But otherwise, yeah, things are back to full speed. Nice. Is anyone wearing figs? Uh, no, no. I no. think uh, after last episode, a lot of people 
found out that Jay has a lot of clout, so they stopped wearing figs right away. Yeah, we got a, we got a little uh, backlash for that. <laughs> I, I've noticed more people wearing figs than, uh, than it's I remember. growing. Yeah, it's yeah, growing, man. It's, growing. it's weird. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we should get figs so we we're not left out. Okay, if they sponsor us. I might if you guys, it. if you guys get sponsored figs, I'd love a free pair, man. Yeah, for sure. You can have mine. Oh, great. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> did, did any? Um, did any of? Well, what was it like being under AIs? You know, what was it? Uh, was it everything you thought it was? Was what you expected? No. So, um, it's like for example, when I was on Spine, we had two weeks, and normally the expectation is that you have clinic like two, three days a week, and then you're in the OR the other two days. And for whatever reason, I guess it was because we're still at peak Corona. I think at that time, I was still the epicenter of all this. And mm -hmm. so we had, because a lot of the spine cases that we're exposed to are elective, we only saw two cases during those two weeks. Um, and I was only able to scrub into one of them because I had a partner as well. He scrubbed into the other one. And so that so was kind of like a lackluster I mean, I'm sure that's not what the expectations on spine in other years, but that was my exposure to it. Joints was a little bit better. That was more recently. That was last month. And that was more high volume. We were able to do more as med students. I scrubbed in all the cases. Uh, I even got to drill into the patella. That's pretty cool. Nice. I think that's my new favorite bone. I think last time I said it was the first <laughs> metatarsal. Now it's definitely patella. I don't think it doesn't get enough uh, appreciation. No, it definitely doesn't. No. Um, but yeah, joints is really cool. And then... That was more of what I expected, or like the ortho rotations to be like. I think trauma is going to. I think one thing I will say is that this year, the people, the fourth year med students are applying this cycle, unless they're just at a really accommodating program for med school, are going to need to catch up to speed in order to be the kind of interns that you guys are expecting. Because I don't think we've been able to get as much exposure as we'd like, just given the limitations because of Corona and what our faculty are able to let us do and some things like that. Yeah, that's a good point. It's yeah, not, not much I like that. Let's set, set the expectation low from the start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hope I'm doing a lot of fourth years uh, good service right now by making sure the expectations are super low. So, so how you, is how is Miami doing this? Because you, you mentioned a bunch of different rotations. So you're not going away, away, right? This is all at Miami. And how do they structure this? Right. Uh, so this year, and this was something one of our faculty mentors in the orthopedics department had to sort of navigate and help us do. So when they announced, a lot of med schools announced around the same time that they were not going to let their home med students do away rotations in person. And so around that time, the faculty sort of had to come together and figure out a plan as to how they're going to help the upcoming orthopedic applicants get as much exposure to faculty and the field in general uh, in order to build up their application. Because we all need letters and if you're not able to go on a ways, that sort of limits the ability to do that. And if you're, you know, things like that. And so they were able to sort of create new rotations for us. So we have a two week trauma elective that's new. We have our joint rotation that's new for medical students. And so the idea there is we now have six two week electives that you can do within the orthopedics department, as well as our traditional four week sub I or AI uh, in trauma. Oh, so nice. if you were to take advantage of all of those, you will get about two to three months of orthopedics, which I think was you would be getting if you do maybe like one home away and two aways as well. Uh, obviously, it's very limited because within your own faculty. So you're sort of like you don't have to deal with the whole coming to a new hospital system or dealing with new residents or anything like that. But I think given the limitations of the cycle, it's the best we can do. 
So how's it are been? There, are there enough um, rotation spots for all the students? Or you, or, you know, what would happen if you were at a school where there's like 25 people that want to do ortho and there's only like 10 faculty or something? Yeah, so that's exactly my situation. Miami has 18. Uh, as far as I know, that is the highest or second highest in the country in terms of people applying orthopedics. Jeez. I think maybe 19 a case, but I think one of them might have dropped. There's like a Reddit spreadsheet that counts all these things. Um, <laughs> that's the only reason I would know this. But uh, no, we have a lot of people applying. And so that was one of the difficulties is that, you know, how are we going to not box each other out when we're doing these kind of uh, rotations? And so what they did then is they limited it to two people per rotation. And because they knew that most of us are trying to get letters and because we now have this extra month grace period where ERS is not due till October 21st, they pretty much limited it to only people applying orthopedics are able to take all these different electives within the first like June through October. And what they also did is that they sort of limited it to their top three initially so that that way, if you get three rotations of your choice between June and October, then those are your three and other people have other three and they try to like spread it out so that people are not overlapping as much. And if there was still space available in those months on different electives, you could go, go ahead and sign up for those as well. So I think most people ended up being able to do four to five different orthopedic rotations and they capped it at two students per rotation. So this is on top of the sub I? This is on top of the sub I. Exactly. So what is the sub I in then? The sub I, so that's the other thing. There's a lot of coordination in terms of figure out whether or not you're going to be able to do your sub I uh, on any given month that you wanted. So there's sort of like a lottery system. You have to submit your top choice. We found out like within two weeks where we would have our sub I, and then you could sort of negotiate with the dean if it didn't work out for you. And so the sub I situation is very similar. You only have two people per sub I. And while you're on that month of sub I, you obviously cannot be taking any other away rotations. And so, but the thing is you get a much stronger letter because you had exposure to the same sort of attending and residents for a month. So right. it's a give and take. And how are you guys handling call? Yeah. What about call? You do like Q18 call or something? <laughs> no, no. So we, we, so that was something we figured out as uh, students. Um, the faculty just kind of left it to us. The residents just told us that day one, the expectation is that there should be at least one med student. Uh, any given night uh, to help out. And so the system we devised, because there are so many of us and we don't want to do Q18 call, is that only those students who are currently on an orthopedic service are going to be able to sign up for call, which is usually around nine students every two weeks, uh, just the way it worked out. And then, so basically one person will take call one day each week. And so that way they were able to cover morning and evening shifts as well as they could. And then the person who is currently doing their sub-I is expected to, I think, cover double the amounts of shifts. So they make it work. And we have like a spreadsheet that we update every two weeks to see who's going to take all one AM and PM. Has it all been pretty um, fair? Like you guys have all been, you know, not stepping on each other's toes. There's no one just trying to sabotage the group and, and gunning too hard. Or, yeah. or has there been? I mean, so I'm not, I'm never going to name any names. Uh, I, think, I don't think that would be fair. But I mean, I think right. it's just natural that that's, that sort of stuff would happen, whether intentionally or not. Right? Like sometimes you're scrubbing into a case and then another med student just happens to have talked to the attending beforehand. The attending like forgot there was a med student in the service at that time. And so you haven't end up having like to share the spotlight kind of thing. But that, uh, to, be, to be honest, that hasn't happened too much. It's happened a little bit, but uh, not as much as you would think. I think it definitely is a lot of gunning though going on in terms of, it's, so the spreadsheet is very first come first serve. And you'll notice like some students will sign up 
like with certain resins that they like and not yeah. have other resins and things like that. Um, but I mean, it's just like, what can you do? You know, given yeah, the I can't imagine because I mean, like, especially students going for ortho, they're super competitive usually, and uh, a lot of a lot of those guys have to hide it to try to get through. I can't even imagine what it is right now, like with, with all this change going on and nobody really knows what's going on. It's probably a lot of cutthroat stuff behind the scenes. Yeah. Why don't you just put you guys on an island and let you all just fight it out, like Battle Royale or something? I think that would be great because that's like the one you thing. You have a good chance, Akil. That's what I was thinking. I would, be, I would do really well at that time. <laughs> but unfortunately, it's, it's becoming more academic and less blue collar as a field, so I don't know. Yeah, how's it, so how's it, how's it working out so far? Not, I mean, not in terms of fairness. I just mean, like, what's your take on the whole, like, is it haphazard? I mean, a lot of it's on the fly, right? So, like, yeah, a lot so, of cakes being worked out and, like, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, no, that's a great question, especially because this is such a weird cycle. Yeah. Um, so, in general, I think it's very attending dependent. Like, the residents here so far have been very accommodating. Like, they understand that, you know, we're all trying to match and they're, they're doing their best to help us out in terms of, like, getting us into the cases and explaining things that, like, for as blue collar as Miami is, they the residents are doing a good job of trying to teach us. I, I do, I, I will say that. Cause y'all, y'all have a huge trauma center there, right? Yeah, it's it's really big. Rider trauma center. It's a level one trauma center. I think this is the in the southeast. This is where the president would go if there if he had any uh-huh. trauma, which is weird because I would think Grady, but I think yeah. that they would come here. It's that's like server my heard, but yeah, we have a very busy trauma center, um, and so. The residents have been great. The attendings, I think, is a hit or a miss. So we have some attendings who will be able to scrub in as med students, but we're not going to be able to really do much. Maybe the lows are tracked. Uh, they really, really won't ask us to close. They really won't ask us to do much of anything, some of them. But then other attendings, so for example, when I was on joints, and I think this was because joints is a new service to us, so there was no expectation. The chief of joints, he actually let me drill into the patella. So that was kind of cool. And then I I was able to scrub into the foot and ankle cage just because I missed it so much. Shout out to JHM. <laughs> um, I was able to uh, close scan on that. I was suctioning. I mean, this, it's not much, but it's more than yeah. I was able to do on some other rotations. And so given the fact that on a lot of a ways, this is what I would be expected to do anyway, I think that next year as batch of interns, they're going to have to catch up to speed because I don't know that a lot of us have been able to get as much OR exposure as we would have liked. And I think that's just a matter of circumstance. Yeah. If you can close skin on the foot, you can close skin anywhere. But, yeah. you know, I think uh, that's very it's interesting. One other question I had was, last time we talked about these online Zoom meetings that programs are hosting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was worried if, you know, if students were rotating, if they'd be able to make it to these meetings. Have you, have you been to a lot of these meetings? Yeah. So I actually just finished doing uh, two virtual aways that were a month each. Um, so that, but I just got lucky because I've had like the last three or four weeks relatively easy. Um, but I think it's true that if you were, if you like, let's say you're on your sub eye, for example, or let's say you're on a busy service like spine, sometimes I get back at like 9 p.m., 10 p.m. I would be very difficult to make those kinds of meetings, especially because on some of these virtual OAs, we have some like prelim gen search kids who I guess like mm-hmm. applied before and are playing again. And they're not able to make a lot of these things just because of their job. Yeah. And so... I think it, I don't know how it's going to work out. Some of these away rotations have been a lot more intensive than others, these virtual aways. And so I think the expectation of those things is a lot. And then we can, I can get into that if you guys want me to. Yeah, do it. Because I want to know what is a virtual away? 
Like, yeah, how, how are they these? Is it different? Is it, are all of them pretty much the same? Like, and what, what is it? Right. So some of them are the traditional, like we have one hour once a week, sort of just get to know the faculty or you can join us on, I think Duke is doing a, like join us on Fracture Conference or join us during our grand rounds. But you don't really get to know the residents or the attendings. And U Chicago is doing things like that too. There's a lot of programs that are doing the once a week, just join us as we do our normal day-to-day stuff, right? Which I think is cool if you're just trying to get to know the hospital system or what the buildings look like, because you don't really get yeah. to the people. Yeah. But there are some ways that are more intensive in the sense that they have daily or almost daily medical student lectures hosted by a different faculty member in their department each day throughout the month. They have a journal club where you're expected to read a journal and contribute to uh, the journal club society discussion. They have education, so they have didactics in the mornings twice a week. You're able to join in on those. You make end of the month presentation. You, they like residents hop on after each thing. So if you have any questions, you can ask them that like get to know this program a little bit better. And I think if you're able to do one of those kind of virtual ways, it helps in the sense that you're so every program even the ones that have like once a week things will tell you that, you know, the people are what makes the program or resin camaraderie is what makes the program, but you don't really get to see that, right? You're, you're basically just taking their word for it. If you do one of these month, like every day kind of monthly virtual ways, you kind of get to see that happen more often because you're able to see residents interact with their attendings daily, right? Cause sometimes they'll show you what, what they're like, pit is like or the replant room or whatever they have going on in their respective programs and you're able to see how they talk to each other how they talk to you how engaged they are how much they the residents take up out of their time to try to explain things to medical students uh and you get a sense of like what's the program really what do they like right and so i think in that aspect it's been really cool are these in general would you say it's more programs trying to sell themselves to you or is it more you guys trying to sell yourselves to the programs like, are they looking at you guys, you know, trying to see who's good or not, or are you guys really looking at the program, or was it both, you know? I guess it was both in the sense that if you are already investing into doing this virtual away, you must have some baseline interest in the program. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a lot more of the program selling themselves to you because mm-hmm. especially depending on what the residents are like, some of these residents like have a pair, they pair you up with a resident mentor and the mentor kind of talks to you daily or or almost every day. And each time you talk to these people, it's always just the perks of their program, um, which is like a month long sales pitch, not in a bad way, but you know, you get, you you get, you sort of get a sense of the program really wants you. And so also the fact that these month long ones, as opposed to the weekly ones, there's an application. So you have to apply to be part of this program. They only take like seven or eight people a month. Some, some are even fewer than that. So you're already in a limited group of people. And so they're really investing their time in you if they're spending a month with you guys. So I think in that sense, given the constraints of a virtual away, and there's not really not much you can do, like we're obviously not in the trenches with them or able to operate with them or even to scrub in. I think they're doing the best they can with that. And I think it's much more the program selling themselves to the students because nice. otherwise we're not going to get exposure how many programs are doing this is, is this a lot there's quite a few um there's some is it uh, mostly like the big name ones no uh actually it's a lot of the small ones the big name ones tend to be the ones that are more once a week except yeah. for nyu i think they have a 
monthly one, and then I think Mount Sinai has a monthly one, but most of them have a, it's schools like VCU or like Buffalo or Rochester, mm-hmm. I think they have like, I mean, Rochester is a decently big one, but Buffalo, VCU, schools like that, they're more, able, like, I guess they're more accommodating because they don't have necessarily the same kind of limitation or tradition that others operate, right. so they're able to do these things. And how did you, without without giving away where you're going, uh, sure. how did you decide between these? So there's like certain programs that are on, I think it's the AOA website where they have a list of each program and whether or not the program is doing a virtual away kind of thing. And so if you look at that website and you look at the program and you're like, oh, this program is, is having a four week away as opposed to like a one or two week away like, let me check out that uh, description on the website. You go on their website, and if it's something that appeals to you, you usually have an application process. You submit your application, you hear back, usually within a week, and then they give you the syllabus and the schedule for the following month, and you're, you just join them. Nice. Mm-hmm. Have, you, have you ever had any conflicts with your current work, like where you had to miss? Yeah, a few times. And I think that's something that a lot of these virtual programs are more accepting of because they know that so for example, we had one student on one of the OAs who was on his psychiatry clerkship, but his hours are relatively better. So he was able to make most of them. I was able to make most of them except for two days where I was scrubbing with the foot and ankle guy I was talking about before. Um, but you know, that's just something you tell their coordinator, like, hey, I'm gonna miss this day for so and so reason. And in general, that's not they they say that they don't really track how often you're able to log on because they understand that people are doing other things at the same time. So We'll yeah. see whether or not that's true, but yeah. Yeah, I remember I got I didn't get into Twitter beef, but there was like this guy on Twitter that I guess is a chief resident somewhere and he like he basically put a tweet saying like he he's noticed this one girl yeah. or guy, something like she logs into every single thing and like I think you know, I know he's what you're like, talking about. Yeah, and he's like yeah. I take I, we take notice of that and stuff like that. And I think he was just trying to like, you know, like he wasn't he didn't mean anything malicious behind it. I think it stressed out a bunch of students. Yeah, it stressed out. I think it did. Yeah, be on all these meetings because they're watching. His comment section was on fire, and rightfully so, man. Like you can't be putting out stuff like that and scaring people. And without naming the program, I heard that exact thing, and I think that uh, like I don't know how people are going to navigate that this year. It's like, are you really going to be able to tell if someone's going to be a good intern by how attentive they are on Zoom? Because I'll tell you full disclosure, every time I had those meetings. I was wearing like a dress shirt, but I was wearing like athletic shorts, you know, yeah. the whole time. Yeah. So I don't know what that means. <laughs> you know, like I, I was very attentive, but was I fully professional? Maybe not. You know? Yeah. I don't, I don't know, man. Like, uh, I like, I don't know, Jay, when we were doing it, we were, we had like actual meetings, right? Like we'd have a full night of call and we had to go next morning to grand rounds or something. I used yeah. to fall asleep a lot. <laughs> I, remember one, I remember falling asleep once I, I was on call. I was in my home program doing my AI. Um, it doesn't matter now. I'm, I'm attending status, so <laughs> I'm a chat. I can say whatever I want. But uh, I like I passed. No, I'm, out we so made hard. it, so we could say this. So it... I, I passed out so hard, like the the um, I forget what the topic. I don't even remember what the topic was. I was probably asleep yeah. the entire time. So I was sitting there right in front of the program director. My home program just like zonked out because I I literally didn't sleep the entire night before and. I don't know. Now I guess I can just turn on Zoom and, and doze off, and no one would ever notice. So yeah, just freeze freeze yeah. a picture of yourself, like put a yeah. of yourself up on the screen, <laughs> yeah. paying attention, or like put a little <laughs> GIF or something. <laughs> I wonder. Blinking. I wonder if anyone is like, let's say I had a younger sibling who was applying this cycle, 
and nobody even knew what I looked like or this guy looked like. If I could just like log into his meetings forum and pretend I'm him, <laughs> and then just like answer all the PIP questions, like, oh, all these classifications, yeah, I know that, I know that. And then they'd be like, wow, this guy is just a star. And that'd be great. Then, then my younger sibling shows up and he sucks. So. Wait, are you getting pimped on these things? Are they asking you guys questions? Yeah, so that's very, so this is something I think that these programs need to uh, universalize or coordinate better. So some of the medical student lectures are exclusively like, okay, here's the x-ray, read it for me. Or like, okay, here's the x-ray, here's the diagnosis. How would you treat this person? And some yes. of them are just them reading through PowerPoints for an hour. Got it. So it's very dependent on who you have at that given day. Jeez. What do you prefer? Like, what, what does it look like when a, um, a Zoom meeting is done well? What do you think? So when a Zoom, okay. So that's a loaded question. First of all, I, <laughs> I prefer Zoom to WebEx because- Oh, I, yeah, me too. Yeah, I the personally WebEx look a lot garbage. better on Zoom than WebEx, you know? So sure. that's number one. I'm glad you started off with that so you can get that out of the way. Zoom is better. <laughs> so the second thing I think is that if it's done well, so traditionally they'll start off like, hey, I'm so-and-so. You know, I'm Dr. J. Chen or Dr. Khalid, and I'm here from um, Emperor wherever. Chen. Now. It's, it's Emperor Chen. But, <laughs> it's Emperor Chen. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, you know, a foot and ankle god, you know. And so tell me, and then they ask the students to introduce themselves. So then, okay, the student says, like, where they went to med school or like where they are going to med school, things like that. And then they'll be like, okay, guys. So this, I can actually just act it out. So I was like, okay, today it's going to be very informal. You know, I'm just going to ask you a few questions. I'm just going to put some things up on slides. And then, you know, feel free to jump in. If you get something wrong, it's okay. We're all here to learn. That's it. They say that a lot as if yeah. we don't know. So <laughs> they go through the slides and then they'll go, okay, so like who wants to take this, uh, this, this one? And so no one will say anything because we're all, we don't know each other and it's all virtual. It's all really weird. Yeah. So they'll, they'll pick someone. They'll be like, okay, Akil, like, why don't you go ahead and tell me what's this? And uh, you better know what bone it is. So for example, without saying who, on uh, one of the things, there's a tibia and someone's like, oh, that's a humerus. And I was like, oh man, that's not a good <laughs> <laughs> they'll tell like, okay this is a skeletally mature individual you know whatever and they'll be like okay good like you got that part correct now uh next person like what what kind of fracture is this and they're like oh it's this kind of fracture like oh well are you familiar with this classification and none of us are right and so they'll be like okay well they talk about the classification system and when it's done well they will not make you feel stupid they'll be like oh yeah no i didn't expect anybody to know this so here here it is and then they'll give a slide which is the classification system then they'll ask us like, oh, what, what kind of treatment do you think we would do? And generally it's non-op first. So like, oh, good job. That's, that's like a freebie question, like a softball. And the next one will be like, okay, how would you do this? Would you put like a nail in? Would you do like a lock and play? And we just be like, oh, we don't know, man. And they're like, oh, don't worry. We didn't expect you to know. And then they would tell us. And then by the end of the day, we all feel like we're interactive. Like I couldn't just, for example, the Heat are playing right now. I couldn't just have them on in the background and be like, oh yeah, like, you know, like zone out for an hour and at the end, like unmute myself and be like, oh, thank you so much, you know, which is some of them. And then other ones, you know, like the, the one I just described, force you to be engaged, force you to pay attention because you never know when they're going to ask you something. But at the same time, they're not making you feel dumb for not knowing something that a chief resident would know. And then at the end of everything, you genuinely felt like one, you learned something, two, you got to know the person. I don't know. I think that's how it would be done well. So it's, it's interactive. But it's also low key and, right. and chill and just kind of uh, low pressure, I guess. Yeah, because like, you know, I know I understand that in a real aware rotation, you should be feeling stressed out. You should be doing a lot of work and whatever. But given the stuff, the fact that this is like a virtual lecture kind of format, I think the best way to like get something out of it as a student 
is for it to feel like you're actually learning something because I think a lot of students approach these virtual aways with the sense like, okay, I just have to be on my best behavior for like a month and then maybe I'll get an interview, which I mean, I feel like that's not maximizing these kind of settings. So I think yeah. the best way you can do something is to actually like fully engage in something. And I think that's going to happen if the person on the other side is more accommodating. Nice. What about, um, what about these resident uh, happy hours and resident Q and A sessions? Have you gone to many of those? Yeah. So I, for instance, for example, Miami is doing one and they've made their med students jump onto those. I was, I was on that one and I was on a few others and I, I don't know. Those, those are definitely different than the, the virtual, like one month away is. How so? They're, they must be pretty chill, right? Like the residents are just like, oh, yo, I'm Jim. You know, I'm from <laughs> I love this program. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but we're diverse. I feel like they're, they probably all sound the same, right? Oh, yeah, we all get along great over here. It's all right. family. It's very collegial. Like, have, you, have you been to one where they're like, oh, my program sucks? <laughs> and, uh, no. You know, we have great autonomy. This is awesome. They all let us do everything we want. We have great surgeons. Everyone gets awesome fellowships. They all go to Duke for foot and ankle. This is great. They all yeah. sound like that, right? I mean, like, oh yeah, no. Yeah. So for example, what happens is you log on, it's a Zoom session, and it starts off with like 10 minutes of the residents just talking to each other, like, oh Jim, like that was a crazy nail we put in the other day, right? Ha ha, yeah. And then they're like, Oh, where's Doug? And Doug is like nowhere to be found. Oh man. Like, no, let's wait five more minutes for Doug to pop on. And Typical Doug. Yeah, it's like classic Doug. Doug. And then the chairman will pop up for like a second. Everyone's just on their best behavior. Like, oh, hey, Dr. So-and-so, like, how are you doing? And like, oh, so great. I can only jump on for a little bit before I have to leave. And everyone's like, oh, here's Dr. So-and-so. Everyone, like, say hi. And everyone types in hi in the chat box. And, <laughs> and then the chairman pops out and everyone's back to being a bro. And it was like, oh, hey, Doug, Doug's here. And then, like, Doug's on the beach. He's on his iPhone Zoom because he gets the session. So there'll be 10 minutes of that, just like us. And then the weird thing is as students, to not look like you're weird, you have to go ahead and like just nod and laugh as if you know all these inside jokes that these residents have been building up for three years. So like, oh man, Doug, remember when this happened at the golf course? And you're just like, ha ha, Doug. I don't know, Doug. I'm just trying to get into this program. And so after like 10 minutes, they break you up into breakout rooms, right? And so the breakout rooms, there's usually, usually there's no attending. So they try to make it informal. You'll have usually one or two, maybe three residents, all different levels. Like usually they'll have a five, a three, and a two or a one, sometimes both. And they're just like, hey, guys, like, you know, this is a very low-key situation. Like, they, they try to put us at ease if we're not already, like, in our underwear, just at our homes. And they're like, yeah, so we're just going to, like, ask you a few questions or if you have any questions to ask us. And generally everyone has the same things, like, oh like what's the trauma like and they're like oh we get great trauma even if they're like oh, not a great love trauma center they're like oh like what's the operative experience like oh we get early operative experience like oh sick dude and then they'll be like oh like, what's uh what kind of research you do and it's like oh research that's what you want you know it's either you do a lot or you do a little totally up to you we don't care we're very chill they're like oh cool like oh do the residents hang out yeah the residents hang out all the time you can be married or you can be single as hell it doesn't matter there's a place for you at so-and-so program I'm like oh cool they're like, oh, like, what are the attendings like? Oh, the attendings, I feel like I can go up to them and talk to them like they're my brother, even though they're like world renowned in spine or ankle or whatever. Like, oh, really? Like, yeah, even Dr. So-and-so. I'm like, oh, but I noticed that everyone just shut up when Dr. So-and-so popped up. Oh, <laughs> like, I don't know, super collegial. But everyone just has the same like 10 questions. Like, oh, like the things I just mentioned. And they're like, okay, cool. And then 
if no one has a question, then they'll start talking to each other again. Like, oh, hey, dog, remember when this happened? Like, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Oh, yeah, sure. I'd love to hop on. Then they unmute, whatever. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, this is what happened the other day. And then they'll end up with a pitch of like, you know, everyone says that this place is a great place or, you know, this is what you get out of it. But really what makes this program is the people. And it's like, oh, cool, man. Like, this is the first time I ever had people in it. So that and at the end of the day, that's that's the whole thing for like an hour. And everyone's just on their best behavior and everyone just types in, thank you so much in the chat box. You really don't get to know a program that way, unfortunately, unless you'd like, you know, you know what I liked? One program that I won't mention, they had a PowerPoint at the beginning about answering everyone's questions or generic questions. And then they open it before. So the questions got to be a little more like actually helpful. And so I think if you do it that way, the students get a lot more out of it. Very so, interesting. Yeah, it's really, yeah. It's something that we've never experienced. It's kind of interesting watching, but, watching it happen. And but at the same time, we have experienced it just in real life. Because that's what every interview was like too, right? I mean, all yeah, the interviews are like that too. Like except, the, for, except for ours. Because... I was definitely way too honest with whatever whoever applicants were coming in. <laughs> like listening to this, I was definitely way. You didn't we do a tour together, me and you once? Yeah, we we did a tour together. It was I think it was the greatest tour ever given at UTMB. <laughs> yeah, I was I, I was obviously way too honest about stuff. I'm like, yeah, yeah, we get some trauma. It's, it's pretty chill. <laughs> we don't get a lot of good stuff, but we get a lot of hips. <laughs> I, I pointed out the walkway between um, the shrine and, and the blocker burn unit. I pointed out the rat that I saw there in the middle of the night. I don't know if you remember that. But, uh, we had Kenny Lamb on our tour in our tour group, and he was so enamored that he ended up matching there. So you remember we took him up to the the we had this bullshit resident lounge area on the twelfth floor of this old oh, hospital. Yeah. It's like oh, creepy yeah. as hell. And we took him up there and uh, I was showing him around. I'm like, yeah. You know, we used to be able to go outside here and like enjoy the weather, but then too many people started jumping off. So, <laughs> so they locked everything down. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. yeah, they didn't really think... let, let me back doing tours after that. <laughs> no, that I think like a very honest tour. That it was a very honest tour. Yeah. Because no, I mean, it doesn't honest, matter to me, right? People. I mean, like, yeah. 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 Yeah, so are you in the will... backyard right now? What's the situation? I mean, I, I know you're not, but what, what's going on in the background there? Man, I built this porch swing yesterday. I'm so proud of it. Damn. I took this beautiful picture of the sunset. No, I built this from scratch. I went to the I went to the woods and I chopped down a few trees. <laughs> wow. And then I bought a, a a circular saw and I just like started sawing up the wood into planks and I just I put it together. It took me like an hour and a half. You use like locking or non-locking screws though. <laughs> Lag my technique. <laughs> <laughs> yep but uh that's cool though that's hilarious so um let me ask you this question then yeah now, now that i'm emperor chen okay and i have medical students as my peons um what what do you look for when you're working with an attending what what would an attending do to make your make your day or make your case well yeah yeah so i'll talk so we because our joint rotation was so new the attending didn't really know what to do with us, so he just had us do what he would do. And so, but he really took some time out of his day to be more directly like interacting with the medical students. So for example, on joints, we started off in the morning, he would give us the expectation like, okay, you're gonna be with me today in clinic, the other med student's gonna be with this like other attending in clinic. You know, this is how I want you to present patients to me. 
you know, nice. uh, afterwards, we're going to go and see the patients together. I want you to write the notes, but if I have my scribe, you don't have to write the note, things like that. I'm like, okay, so now I know exactly what to do going in because sometimes they just kind of throw us in there and you end up doing more work or less work because you didn't know how the uh, system was supposed to run. And so we like saw patients all day in clinic. I present to them. I got subsequently better once I learned more about joints as the day went on. This is day one. And so the middle of the day, he actually did. So some attendings just go through clinic and don't have lunch. Uh, shout out to Dr. Parekh. Uh, but our <laughs> attending did uh, have lunch. And so he's like, okay, during lunch, he's like, okay, pull up your CV. I pulled my CV. He's like, wow, you have a lot of foot and ankle research with Jay Chad. I'm like, oh yeah, I do. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, that's going to get you to Harvard. I'm like, oh, sick. So he's like, no, no, no. He's like, he's like, yeah. So, uh, you know, so he, we go through my CV, we go through uh, everything and he, you know, really, he's like, oh, like, where do you want to go? And like, he's like, oh, I know, like, some attendings, like, feel free to, like, you know, tell me, you know, when you've applied, and I'll, like, look out for you. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. And then we go through the rest of the clinic, and the next day in the, the OR, he's like, so the, what, the other thing I really like is after clinic, he's like, okay, here are the cases we're going to do tomorrow in the OR. Why don't you read up on them? I'm specifically going to do an anterior approach. I was like, okay. So that night, I go home, open up Hoppenfels, shout out to Hoppenfels. This is a throwback to our last talk. Uh, and then I read up the anterior approach and everything. And the next day he pimps me on some questions. I get them, but I, I only got them because I had read up because he had given me the heads up. It was not every attending will do. And so I was able to do that. I felt like I was actually able to follow along with the case, even as a medical student, it's like my limited ability. And then, you know, during the case, he like, I knew like I was almost just going to be retracting and suctioning, but then he handed me a drill. I'm like, oh, Whoa. you want me to do this? He goes, like, yeah, you can do this now. I'm like, really? He goes, only because you read up yesterday. I'm like, okay, great. So then I did this. And then at the end of the day, I mean, he told me like, you know, yeah, you did a very decent job. I'm like, oh, thanks. And then, I don't know. It was, it was just like things like that. He's just like, you know, he shows that the attending cares about you. And he's just like, you know, I think it's very easy as a attending to just not have to care about, especially, you know, like 10, 20 years into practice, like you've done this as like everyday thing for you. But when you like make it a point to be spending some attentive time with the medical student, I think that really makes their day. You know? Gotcha. So be attentive to the medical student, read their CV. And <laughs> you know, I mean, you don't have to do all to make get them, calls. Get them into <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Got it. All right. All right. So you don't have Tomorrow. to do all of that. Like... Tomorrow, I, I will offer. <laughs> phone service tell my medical students no 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 i'm just you, you know what i mean though just like if you if you show that you're actually like looking for what the medical student wants to get out of that experience i think it shows yes yeah, yeah absolutely absolutely those are those are good thoughts so all in all um this this application cycle it seems like you guys are all surviving in general the students are all surviving no one's gonna be too stressed out and you know everyone's everyone's doing okay yeah generally i think so this cycle are also doing more of the, have you guys heard like the SLOR? Mm -mm. Oh, standardized letter, right? Yeah. Oh so, yeah, standardized letter of yeah. recommendation. Mm. Mm -hmm. so, or SLOR. So the SLOR, exactly, or the yeah. E-SLOR. <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's know. the thing, that's the AOA template, right? That's basically got those boxes and you have to check top 1%, 5%, whatever, 25%. Yeah, exactly. Oh There's so a think, lot of top 1%. Right. So more and more programs now, I think almost two thirds, if not more, tell you that they want the ESLOR either as opposed to or in addendum with a traditional narrative. 
And so I think that's been causing a lot of confusion because some students are like, oh, I also want my traditional letter in there because it's just a bunch of checkbox or otherwise, yeah. like you guys said, every attending is going to put like, oh, this is great. And so I think getting attendings to realize how to do that and then getting letters on time now that the deadline is different. So there's still some attendings trying to get letters from. Um, still have to work on my personal statements because I was able to push all that later now. But yeah, I mean, generally things are going pretty well. No, I remember when we were going through, there were like maybe four or five programs that wanted that standardized letter. Yeah, and and most of them. <laughs> yeah, it was like another piece of work. Yeah, I, I applied to one or two of them. I remember giving it to my attendings who were writing my letters and go, "Hey, can you fill this one out instead?" And uh, you know, but now it seems like it's pretty standard. Is that yeah. a good thing? I don't think so. I think it's that's that's yeah. very uh, it's a very fine line because first of all, if I'm if I'm a letter writer and I can't check the highest box for a student, I'm not. I'm, I mean, I have to be honest with them and be like, "Hey." you need to find someone else to do this because I can't, I can't check anything that's going to make you competitive, which is basically what it is, right? If you're not the top 1% and everyone else is, you're not, I mean, that's a red flag, right? Because I don't think you can trust letter writers to be honest about their students. Everyone thinks that their students going to be the best one. So it's basically like, I don't, I don't know. I have a problem with it. Cause I don't think anyone, I don't think everyone's honest enough to make it I, work. I think you're right. Like, let's <clears> say I have a student who's, you know, I'm on an admissions committee and I get this student application and it says he's in the top 25%. Like that's actually pretty good. I don't it's think I'm yeah. top 25%. Uh, to be honest, you know, I don't think I was better than 75% of med students. Uh, who knows, right? But all of a sudden you're reading it and you're like, is he really in the top 25% or is he in the bottom 25% yeah. And this letter writer just, you know, check top 25% not to be just not to be mean. So that's, well, that's a good point. I think the other thing too is so, you know, I think it's also makes it more of a game than it has to be. So for example, mm -hmm. I think most attendings, if they're in good terms with the student they're going to try letters for, which first of all, they should be, otherwise why'd you write the letter? But let's say they are. Then I think the traditional attending would just be say, saying things like, okay, yeah, like top 25% or top 5% or top 1%, right? And then you happen to get the one honest attending who doesn't yeah. see it as a game. And they're like, oh, well, the student's great, but I don't think that the top 10% of students I've ever had. So yeah. he honestly thinks he's endorsing you. He or she is mm -hmm. endorsing you very well. And then, you know, program director sees this and they get like 20, you know, best student I ever had. And then one top 10%. And they're like, well, yeah. it's not like, you know, you can easily see which one they're going to take. Yeah. I think yeah. there's going to be a lot of best students I've ever had. Yeah. It's, it's going to be weird. Plus, what did, I mean, what does it really change? Like, I could see why, I could kind of see why they're doing this to try to standardize things, but it's, I mean, it, at the end of the day, it's all about phone calls anyways. And uh, if, if your attending's not willing to make a call for you, then you're behind. So, I mean, yeah. it, it, with or without the standardized letter, it's still always going to be about phone calls. It's still a very small community. It's all about who you know. So, yeah, letters are great, but um, if you really want to play the game, you still have to play the game. Bo, did you, when you were going through, did you have anyone make a phone call for you? Do you not remember? For, not for med school. No, because I, uh, I don't know. I just didn't, I didn't have that big of connections, actually. And did anyone call one of your attendings to ask about you? or? Uh, I, never heard. You know about? I never heard, actually. I think I just kind of blended into the middle and got lucky that I got in. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. I just, actually, actually, you... that's, actually, that's not true. Uh, I did have some, he didn't write a letter for me, but he did, he did make a phone call for me. Yeah. And that was at UTMB and it actually worked out. So 
I can't say that that didn't happen because it did. <laughs> All right. I, I, I guess it happened. Uh, <laughs> likewise, for me as well, it happened. So it's just, uh, it's interesting. Now, now it's the norm. And back then, I don't know how normal it was, although it happened to both of us. So I guess that's two out of two. But, yeah. you know. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting that you guys are mentioning that because that's uh, something that's been so highly touted this cycle, especially because so a lot of the there's like a lot of these uh, advice people in within ortho who are saying like, Oh, like join our webinar or join this. And like thousands of interested ortho applicants across the country and some international will log in and look at these people. And a lot of their advice is the same, right? It's like, yeah. Oh, you know, find a passion and like really be passionate about it. And like, don't say you broke a bone because we've all heard that before. Like, okay, sick. So then you find a passion and then they're like, okay, well this cycle, especially because you're not able to do a ways you need to have, advocates and like okay what does that look like and they're like oh someone who's gonna make phone calls so i think that's becoming way more prevalent now than maybe it was at your guys' time but i think at this point uh pretty much everyone who is able to is going to try to have people make phone calls for them so i don't yeah. i actually don't know if that's going to distill or dilute the value of a phone call anymore if everyone's doing it well, i guess we'll find out yeah i think i think it just depends on how well <clears throat> the guy knows the guy that's making the call right right which really sucks for people in smaller areas and like schools without ortho programs yeah um, especially that yeah that's a good point yeah th those guys this is gonna be a tough cycle for um those guys and girls doing that yeah um but yeah you know it, when you bring that up that those like ortho mentor guys I, it always shocks me how well those guys do and how so ortho, ortho mentor is uh he's a faculty at miami actually oh is he really yeah, yeah he's the foot and ankle guy I scrubbed in with a few days ago oh nice <laughs> yeah i mean what, wait what's his handle ortho ortho mentor Oh yeah, how about that? Shoot. Yeah, <laughs> I'm Yeah, go figure. I it it's, yeah. it always surprised me how like how well that stuff does because to me it's always the same info. It's always it's like you said it's always the same stuff that you're like it's the same advice just rehashed over and over again, and everyone eats it up. They're, like students are so desperate for just any little edge and any yeah. little advantage. That they you feel just, like you don't want to miss out as a yeah. student. You're like, is this the one? webinar i have to catch where they'll give me the, the secret tip that'll get me in like yeah yeah, yeah exactly it's, not. Funny, it's funny this that thing about passion like what if you're passionate about just like like what if you're just like super passionate about being like maga and like trump right <laughs> i don't know <laughs> I, I guess on interview day oh that's awkward <laughs> yeah you can show with like a trump bow tie on interview yeah. day. I don't know. And it might work in ortho, actually. Like, you might actually... It might, it might work <laughs> at, the right, at the right program. It might work, yeah. I like you never know. Not right here. <laughs> yeah. It, but, um, I don't know, so, wait, so, have you have you finished your personal statement yet? No, I've started it, but because I knew that this cycle was going to sort of be an extended, and because I had other stuff at the front end of this year, I pretty much just focus on that, and then I'm giving myself... Because I have about a month now. So I started it, but I'm only like two, I like created an outline of what I want it to be like, but I haven't actually written it yet. So, but no, you, you can go first. So I, I don't know. Everyone says, everyone reads, you read on Twitter and you hear it a lot. They're like, Oh, don't write a personal statement about how you tore your ACL or about how you got injured. What if you're really so passionate like, about that? <laughs> what if that, what if that, like, so I haven't torn my ACL. But what if I did share my ACL and that pushed me into ortho? What if that was, and my surgeon was super cool. I want to be like my surgeon. Like what, what's wrong with that? You know, like what, why? I mean, letter writers say they're tired of hearing it, but if, if it's well-written, 
and it's actually true. Like, I'd want to hear the true reason. I don't want you to make something up about why you want to do ortho. If it's because you actually did your ACL, you know, just be honest about it. That's what I would think. But I do know that um, that most other people that I've talked to or read about, they say you shouldn't write that. So I don't, I don't know. Tough luck if that actually happened to you. You got to make something up. Yeah, I mean, I think maybe this is a question that you guys will be able to answer more because you guys have gone through residency and you're currently attending. So maybe you guys are going to be able to see this in applicants or something but the advice i've been given which i think is advice a lot of people have been given applying the cycle in terms of personal statement they just don't rock the boat yeah so like don't don't write something outrageous because then that's going to get you in hot water but then if you write something like oh i had an injury and if you're able to just like make it look normal or sound normal and now all of a sudden you became passionate fine but then if you can come up with something more unique that's also fine but they said like Pretty much 80 to 85% of personal statements are going to look the same. They're going to get like the same rating out of the checklist or the scale. And then maybe 15 to 20 are going to be either super good or just like, oh, wow, never mind. I don't want to take this person anymore. So I actually yeah. don't know how much value the personal statement has. I think that's a question that you, maybe you guys will be able to more. Well, I think uh, the advice I've been giving med students for years now who've asked me is I've said a personal statement cannot get you an interview, but it can definitely make you miss out on interviews. So it's yeah. exactly what I, that's exactly what I think as well. Like, unless you do have some astounding story that is pretty legit, which I do know a few students that have had those stories and I've read their statements, I've helped them edit it uh, when I was a resident and, um, and they're really good stories. But unless you have one of those, if, if you're just like me and I, I don't really have a astounding story, um, then just write something solid and don't, don't shoot for the moon and write something that's like, you know, don't, don't make it, don't write like poetry if that's not your thing just because <laughs> i mean if you if it's your thing then great but if it's not your thing don't write poetry just just to make it sound unique you know like just just write something solid that won't get you kicked out of an interview like being mega <laughs> i mean yeah <laughs> I like instead of the population dude <laughs> yeah i know it's, isn't it crazy but in ortho like i said in ortho, might work so um <laughs> Yeah, usually, I guess personal statements haven't been that important, but Jay, I don't know if you remember this, there's a UMKC on their Twitter feed, they listed everything that they consider important in order of importance. I do remember this, yeah. I, I pulled it up. So this was, their, this was their list of things that they consider in order of importance for application to the program. One was personal statement. Two was letters of recommendation. Three is past step one and two on the first attempt. Not the just score, passed. just passed. Four was MSPE, which I, I don't remember what that is. The Dean's letter. Dean's yeah. letter, okay. Five was publications. Six is ortho clerkship. Seven is core clerkships. Eight is interest in the program. The things that they don't consider was step one and step two score. So they don't look at your step one or step two score. They don't look at whether you're a former athlete at all, medical school tier or class rank. And then the things that they love with the yellow heart, this is a yellow heart. Okay. A unique personal statement. Candidates who have experience with diverse patient populations, which, I mean, that just depends on your med school, right? If you're like, if you're a med school that just doesn't have that, you're stuck for this program. How do they judge that anyway? I have no well, idea. Whether or not, I mean, whether or not you volunteer at freestanding clinics, maybe? I or guess, not. maybe. Or maybe if your medical school has an associated county hospital, because some don't. Yeah. yeah. Other things that they love with the Yellow Heart, three strong letters of recommendation, Reapplicants who are honest and introspective. I don't know how to do One that. peer reviewed publication. 
one. <laughs> one peer review publication is something that they love. Sounds so like a psychiatry residency program. <laughs> it's it's a, it's definitely different. Not not trying to hate whatever. It's definitely different. Hate, I, right. It's different. I, yeah. It's progressive. It's progressive. It's progressive. Very progressive. I wouldn't go and say that that's the norm. So I would I wouldn't act like that's you know something that's a change in programs. But at least for that one program. That's interesting. Hey, that's very interesting. Kudos to them for uh, you know for trying something different. I. Uh, I mean, they say that. I wonder how. I wonder how legit that's going to hold up as they go. That's my only question: is how 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 much are you going to stick to that? Yeah, because it you sounds know? like at that point, if everyone who has taken step one and step two, which is yeah. everyone who's applying, is like not going to be screened out, so all of a sudden you're looking at thousands of applications, and you're going to look for one peer review publication that probably still has thousands of applications. Yeah. And then you read a thousand person statements, I guess. I don't know. Yes. Yeah, and you read them in depth enough to do that. Yeah. No, that's actually a good point. I was. This is something I want to ask you guys. So now that step one is like true pass fail after I think this year or next year, what do you think is going to be the role of the step one score? Is it now you guys are focused more on step two scores? Because CK is also out, at least for this year. So I didn't have to take that. But um, is that what you're going to look for? Is it going to be more like research? Is it going to be personal statement? Like I, how is that going to affect program directors and like residency selection committees moving forward, do you think? Wait, hold on, hold on. You didn't take CK? Like, people didn't take CK this year? I didn't have to because, uh, so I was, so as you guys know, I was on a research year last year. So I was planning on taking yeah. it this year, fourth year. Hmm. And then because of Corona, I got an email from the NBME maybe in July ish, being like, yeah, everything going on, like the rest of 2020, if you were scheduled to take it, it's canceled. And then 2021, we don't know if we're going to have it yet. So they gave us a full refund, which is like a thousand dollars to us or $1,500. So, Oh, so there's there's nothing to go. There's very little to go off yeah. of, and yeah. in the future even even less, maybe like you're saying. Right. Um, whoa, this is just a crap man. If I, yeah. I'm I'm lucky. You know, I'm very happy that I got into ortho. But if I were a student right now, it's tough. If I had really no. Well, no, it's it could be tough. But if you're a student with traditionally bad scores, with like no shot at getting in, this is your year. <laughs> <laughs> or just apply to UKC. Why <laughs> there? Um, no, I mean to answer to answer your question though, going forward, there I think there there still is going to be a step two. There's yeah. I think programs are just going to put a lot of weight on step two. It's just going to become the new step one. That's scary. Then, man. I know it's a lot of pressure. All your eggs in one basket. So right now, mm -hmm. if you screw up step one, you have a chance to rebound with step two. Right. And I think step two is a better test anyway. So it's 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 good. But now it's like you know, what if you just have a bad testing day? What if you have like irritable bowel syndrome and then like during your test you got you got the runs like 10 times and then you it's can't a long right? test too there's a very good chance you will get the runs i got the runs get the that. Run. yeah when i was in like third grade i was testing for this like ag or gt program like this advanced get whatever program and my parents were like really hopeful man i had the runs during the test that i, I didn't get in obviously so oh my god here i am just a just a normal i took uh, hey i took the same test and i didn't get in but i didn't have the runs i just i just wasn't yeah, gifted and talented yeah <laughs> but that sent me on a track of uh, you know, literally put, sent me back like 20 years and it took a long time to recover my self-esteem academically um, but i do think like step two will be more uh a lot more heavily looked at and I think rotations will be more heavily looked at. And I, I always think, you know, you talked about that list, Mo, about what, what's important from that one program. You know, my list, number one, is always going to be clinical rotation. It's going to be number one, two, three, four, five, six. 
and then seven might be um i don't know your favorite like type of music or something something random but i think if you if you show you show up well in a clinical rotation as long as your scores are okay like that i know i want to work with you you know if yeah. otherwise if your scores are great and you don't do well in the clinical rotation then i still don't think i want to work with you you know yeah, the, I think the, the the one thing that can equalize everything is a great clinical rotation. Like we've had people, we've had people in your residence not have the best scores, but when they come in through to rotate and everyone's just like, man, I really want to work with this guy. This guy's awesome. I really want to work with him um, or girl. Um, it's just, it, it can equalize basically any deficiency in your application, which sucks for this year because you don't get that. <laughs> I was just about to say like, damn, that sounds great, man. I wish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But on the other hand, if you are not, like a great team player or you just come off as awkward. I mean, some people are like that. And they, it's not that they don't work hard or that they can't do the job. It's just that they're a little awkward and that happens. And maybe this is your year. <laughs> yeah. And truthfully, I, I would, I would hope that, you know, attendings and residents could look past a little, a little bit of awkwardness. Cause when I was a fellow last year, you know, there were some students I worked with and I remember one in particular, I thought this dude was just kind of like really, kind of awkward he's you know doesn't quite get it but i pimp him on stuff and he the dude knew he he knew like a lot he was just getting him and he wasn't arrogant about it he was just getting like i was asking about the log handsome classification he was nailing it and he was you know he was far beyond what i thought a fourth year student needs to know and then the or he was helpful he had awareness of what to of what to do um he was a good assistant he was just a little socially awkward but at the same time i you know, I thought he did a good job, and I would definitely, if I had any power in that program, or whatever, like I would definitely try to rank him pretty high just because of that. So I would hope people can look past awkwardness as well. That awkward, that awkward thing is—it's a little overblown sometimes because just being a student is such an awkward position to begin with. Right, right. I mean, it's like you're you're constantly in an awkward position, and so I mean, if people are awkward, whatever. Who cares? As long yeah. as you're not mean and malicious, and like you know, well, some people try too too hard to fit in, and it gets annoying. For sure. I think the other thing to uh, think too is uh, what you were just mentioning is the awkwardness factor. So I think that also depends. Like if, if it's my first time working with an attending, like in the OR, yeah, know whether he's cool with me, like how involved he's cool yeah. with me in the OR, I don't want to overstep. But then at the same time, if I don't show enough engagement, yeah. then it looks like I'm being lazy or not involved in the case. And so I think that, I, yeah, I do hope that programs are able to have a little bit of more grace period for that because I think as a medical student, especially the first time you're scrubbing with a certain attending or a certain resident or fellow, there's a learning curve. And I think that that's something that needs to be accounted for as well. So what do the students think? You know, you and your friends and your, your co-students, what do they think about missing about losing step one? Do, do most students think it's a good thing? Yeah, I mean, I think that, so my current cycle, the step one score is still scored so us i guess we don't really care as much but i think the more junior students they are a little they're actually not that happy about it for the strict sense that now step two becomes that much more important and uh it depends more on i guess what your given school's third year requirements are like or what the rotation schedule is like but some clerkships make it really third year clerkships make it really hard for you to study outside of your core curriculum or like your awards and stuff so if you're going into you know 5 a.m for whatever service and you get home at eight or nine it's hard enough to say study for a shelf on top of that but now knowing that you have that year to also study for step 2 ck 
which is now the new step one, mm -hmm. I think it adds that much more pressure. And like you were saying, it's just like, now it's just the one shot and uh, if you have IBS, you're screwed. So I think that a lot of students are becoming a lot more stressed out about that. But I think that by the time, because that's, that's not going to affect students for another two, three years, right? Because those are current first or second year med students. Mm -hmm. So I think by that time, when it does happen, where the fourth year applicants who are applying do not have a step one score, hopefully by then programs have figured out a way to figure out like what they're looking for in terms of scores. Well, Mo, what are your thoughts on, um, I remember when this change happened, you would read online what people thought about how this change would affect uh, underrepresented minorities going into ortho. Yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Ooh, that's a tough one, huh? Um, so I asked you before you, before you could ask me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I had to think about that one. By underrepresented minorities, you mean like the fact that he's a Bears fan, right? I yeah. Saw that. Yeah. What? Three and oh. <laughs> Better than my Jets. Oh, man. That's, that's a sad state of affairs right there. Um, yeah, so if so, step one going pass fail and underrepresented minority. So ideally, it shouldn't matter, right? In an ideal world, that score should not make a difference. In reality, I think a high step one score can make up for a lot of deficiencies in other areas. At least historically, that's my opinion on what's been the case, and uh, especially being in the South and stuff, and you know this this area. I think having a higher step one score opens up the door that sometimes can be shut a little easier. I, like I said, ideally that shouldn't matter. <laughs> going past one or going a, a past fail on step one can change that. Um, and it just depends. I think it really depends on what region of the country you're in and uh, what the programs are like. So if if you are, let's say, at a program, let's say anywhere in the country that historically has had maybe one or two minorities, maybe one or two women in their, pro in their program's history, essentially what it comes down to is you are not competing against everyone else. You're competing against other minorities for those one or two spots, right? Historically, that's kind of what it is. Um, so in that sense, the, the step one score having a high step one score kind of opens up that gap a little bit and gives you a little bit more margin for error. Um, yeah, that's, that's kind of my thought. I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, I, I, I don't think it makes a huge difference, but I, I don't know. Um, Cause again, I think if all the weight's going to be on step two, it's still a, a an objective score, you know, that, that basically is, is pretty similar to what it used to be, except now you have one score instead of two. So whatever advantages you know, certain groups of people have or did not have, um, I think they still hold because it's still a standardized test. Um, right. So step, if step like, two, if step two just replaces step one, nothing right. status quo, exactly. right? Nothing changes. Exactly. So, but if we're talking about like the score, like let's just say all the programs decide to do what UK, UMKC does and only look at pass, right? As long as you yeah. pass step one and step two on the first try, which I don't know anyone applying to ortho that has not done that, then they, they don't care, right? Assume that all the programs in the country are like that. I have no clue what UKMC looks for, to be honest. <laughs> oh, no, no, they said it. That, that, was, that was from their Twitter page. That's why I have no problem saying what, they, what they're saying, because they, that's yeah. their direct quote. But I'm just well, saying, like, so if you assume that in all the other countries, like say there's no score limit, right? Everything's yeah. pass fail. 
How does that affect us? If there's no scores at all, how's it affect? Hmm. Right, that's the, that's the question you're asking me, basically. Well, yeah, I think it depends on the, I mean, really it just gives the programs license to shape their, uh, their class however they want to, you know. It so, should, ideally. Right, right. So basically if there's no scores, there's nothing objective to go off of, and you're, you're involved in selecting a class. You could, if you wanted to have a class of all, of all underrepresented minorities, you could, because you know, no one's looking at numbers anymore. So that's, that's not really a factor anymore. Or if you want to have a class of no minorities, yeah. you could also have that. If no one's so that's very interesting, because I, I immediately jumped to that side of it. Yeah. And I think you jumped to the other side of it. I think it's just, I'm just more of a pessimist you, than you are. You, yeah. Well, I mean, you have, <laughs> I think both sides are, are, equally, are equally possible and equally you know, likely to happen, depending on what program. But do you, so do you at. really? The, that scores uh, that scores allow for diversity in a program. I don't know if they allow for it. I don't know. Because what you're saying is that if you take out if you take out the scores, then you can shape the program whichever way you want, right? Which inherently assumes that the scores don't allow you to do that. I yeah. don't know if that's I don't know if that's true. I guess scores will they I think they kind of allow you justification. They definitely, yeah, you can definitely yeah. justify different decisions. You can justify your choices based upon your scores. So I think that's what scores can be used for. So, I don't know. It's going to be interesting. I don't know. One other yeah. thing that you touched on. So if I remember correctly, you said UMKC is like the eighth thing they look for is program interests or interest yeah. in that program. Yeah, it was last on their list of things that they look for. You would think that would be higher, right? <clears throat> if, like, if I'm applying to the program, you would hope that I'm interested yeah. in you. I think, I hope, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if that was just like a, like a way to deter students from emailing them a bunch, <laughs> maybe. Oh, maybe, yeah. That's, that's maybe, that's, maybe that's a hard thing to judge. So they didn't want to put too much weight on it. But you, could I mean, you could definitely fake interest. Oh yeah. yeah. You could definitely fake yeah. interest. We do that every day. <laughs> I mean, some students, I mean, some students could send out letters of interest to every program out there and some students would send them out to like no programs depending on the students. So, yeah. Have you guys heard? Um, so I, they're not necessarily doing this uh, for ortho, but I think ENT and maybe a few other programs are doing this like signaling thing. Have you heard of that? Mm. Yeah. So like signaling. No. <laughs> um, so I'm not too familiar with what it is other than I think the basic concept is they give each applicant like four or five signals that they're able to use and that way it's sort of like you can then when you're applying you can signal to a program like oh i am interested in you more so than just a casual acquaintance it's like a dating app for yeah programs. Right. right so i think that the whole idea behind that was especially this cycle when there's everyone's going to buy everywhere most likely and how are you supposed to know how interested someone is in a program i think if if a applicant gives you a signal they're inherently more interested in you than say another applicant who did not use one of their signals on you. So I don't know. That's kind of an interesting concept. Uh, I don't think ortho is doing that. Ortho is doing, I don't know if you guys are aware of the uh, interview date. They have like one interview date now. What's uh, so they have one, one interview date for everywhere. Yeah. So AOA released a statement, uh, I think a few days ago saying they're going to try to have programs for residency, give out their interview invites on the same day. Oh yeah, I remember um, that. 
Exactly. And they get, what, like three days to respond or something? I think like two days, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I have heard about that. So, yeah. yeah. No, I've got some insider knowledge. It's, it's good to be emperor. <laughs> but um, I have heard about that. Yeah, I kind of like, like that. Yeah. Now that when I, the more I think about it, I think I kind of like that. It takes the game out of it a little bit, which I think is good for students. Well, yeah, so you, you have one day to know every, basically every possible interview you could take, and then you yeah. have a few days to decide. So I think that's good because otherwise, I remember we were stressed out. I remember in November just checking my email every two minutes. Oh, yeah. You, know, yeah. you don't know when that invite's coming. So. I think the two-day grace period is also great because I'm going to be in my sub I during that time, so I'll yeah. probably not be able to jump on my email right away. Right. Yeah. yeah. Have you um Have you looked at any of this like transparency stuff that they're trying to do? It's like this new push for programs to try to be more transparent, and they list stuff like their average or median step one scores, their median number of publications, and now they list they list weird stuff like the number of women in their program and their number of URMs in their program which I have my own issue with, but um, I've already talked enough on race today. Um, have you looked at any of that stuff and has it helped you at all if you have? Yeah, I mean, I've seen it because some programs will like post about it. So uh, one thing I've noticed is a lot of programs are making new Instagram accounts. Oh yeah, and I yeah, think it's that's, popping up everywhere. Yeah, so like I'm on my Instagram and it keeps asking me like, oh, like maybe you want to follow this account. It's all like different ortho programs. And so some of those, they have exactly what you're talking about, the transparency things. And they're all talking about, yeah, like the median that we inter the median step one and step two score of applicants we interview is so-and-so. The mean is this. The mean number of research things is this. I think it's great that, so, like, first of all, there aren't actually that many programs doing it as I think I would like. But the ones that are doing it, I don't know how helpful it is because especially in this cycle, it's not really going to deter me from applying because I think most people this cycle are going to apply broadly. Mm -hmm. uh, secondly, it's not really any new information. Like if you look at charting outcomes in the match every two years, it's basically the same thing. Like unless some program is like, Oh, as opposed to the mean for ortho, which is 248 nationally or something like that. We take students at like a 220 or we take students mm -hmm. at a 260 on average. Yeah. Maybe that would be, game-changing information about that program but traditionally a lot of these programs are like oh yeah we take like high 240s on average we also take students as low as a 210 or as high as a 270 or whatever i mean yeah that's like every program so at that level i don't know how helpful that was for applicants but i, I do think it's good that they're being more transparent because maybe then that'll force other programs to try to do that also yeah it's all, it's all part of this push to, uh, to decrease the number of programs that students are are applying to on average you know that's the reason why they're trying this students have more information to, to judge which programs they're applying for but i think like it's going to take a lot more than that to actually change the number of spots that a program that students apply for and you know i don't really have a solution to that and I, I think you know if i tell a student you know if they ask me how many to apply for i would tell them apply to as many as you can you know right and so that it's interesting you say that because so some some people like uh ortho mentor and stuff like they're telling you like okay yeah like sit down with a faculty mentor or like someone who knows you well, who's an ortho and go over your application and your CV and everything. And they'll tell you like approximately how many programs to apply to. And the number can be as low as like 30 to as high as 80. But I don't know anyone who's taking that seriously. Yeah. I think a yeah, lot of people is. are still going to go ahead and like what you're saying, Jay, some residents have said the same thing to me also 
just like that when they were applying, they would apply broadly and like regardless of how strong their applicant was, application was. So I don't know that, like I, I see what you're saying in the sense that by being more transparent, they're trying to help students figure out like whether or not this program would be a good fit. Maybe don't apply here. Maybe I should apply here. I don't know how effective it's going to be in the long run, especially this cycle where you don't really get to see any program applicants or residents. Yeah. I, some of this transparency stuff is just, it's like you said, it's just kind of redundant. If you really want to be transparent, I think one, show the range of the step one scores in your current program. Show the yeah. lowest and the highest. Right. Uh, if you really want to be transparent, honestly, what UMKC did, that list I showed you, if, if they yeah, actually mean that, that's one of the most transparent things you can do. Yeah, that is nice. So like, props to them. You're looking yeah. For, you know? yeah, show what you're looking for. Show what you value in, in an applicant. Um, yeah. Yeah, um, and I think one thing that would be super helpful is if programs were honest about whether or not they have certain cutoffs. So, for oh, example, yeah, like, yeah. oh, if you're not, like, upper half of your med school, we won't interview you. If you don't have at least, like, a 230, we won't interview you. Or, like, if you don't have, like, two or three pubs, we probably won't interview you. Like, yeah. things like that. I think that would be super helpful for applicants to know rather than just if, we, if, if you're passionate about something. Here's, here's the other thing. Um, I don't know how much of this is true because I'm not a program director, but I've heard it said, you know, program directors, they, they keep track of stats. Like, this is how many people apply to our program this year. We were able to match in our top 10. And these are almost like, uh, you know, they, they kind of compare it to each other in a way. So these are things they take a lot of pride in so i think by a program saying you know we have a cutoff of 240 for step one and then their number of applicants drops 33 percent or something like that you know that would be a hit to their i guess kind of a hit to their ego almost and i think that's why some programs are not willing to do that that's just that's conjecture on my part i'm not a program director so i don't really know how much of this actually goes on uh, but i've heard talk about this before so no that's true and i, I totally see why they would do that and that makes sense. Uh, but just from an applicant perspective, I think it could be like, they could go one step further and being completely transparent in that sense. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Like, I, don't, I don't know what the number of women in your program, do you honestly think anyone's not going to click that checkbox just for seeing the number of women in the program? No. I, I mean, if you have a chance to match there and you'd be the first woman, I think you would take that over not matching. Most people would, I, 99% would. So some of the transparency stuff is just kind of like, why are you doing this? But I mean, at least it's better than nothing, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not applying. <laughs> it's it's yeah. interesting year. I'm curious how much of this will persist, you know, in the yeah. fall of the year and the year after. Will we, will we go back to what it used to be or will we keep some of these online meetings and these virtual rotations, and these resident happy hours and this uh, transparency or whatever? I, I, bet you, I bet you a lot of the online stuff sticks around. And it so. goes, it goes, I, I bet you it would go outside of the, uh, the application cycle too, like um, started earlier, like in the summer-ish so that a lot of people can do it. So it's not just like July, August, September, October. Um, yeah, well, you know what? Yeah, go Sorry. ahead. I was going to say, uh, you know what's interesting though about this format of doing everything online is I wonder, so you know how traditionally, I don't know, you guys probably don't actually do this as much as the medicine would, but like they have like the charting outcomes in the match or they have those like, PDFs and, yep. and like graphs or everything. So there's like usually a certain number of interviews that you can hit. And if you hit that number. Yeah. Number needed to match or whatever. Right. So I think it's around like 11 to 12. It was like a 90% chance of matching or something. And obviously as close to that as you can get is great. Um, but I wonder now this cycle, especially if everything is online and people are applying more broadly and, Maybe, I don't know if uh, program directors are going to interview more or less people this cycle because 
one, you don't have to have the hassle of like, oh, housing people or like having people in a room. Mm-hmm. So maybe they can have more applicants and it'll take less. But I wonder if that number is going to change the cycle because if, if theoretically you give out this like all interviews got on one day, if they're giving out more interviews than the normal year, because this year it's easier to do the easier format, then maybe hitting 11 or 12 interviews this year does not actually give you a 90% chance to match. Or maybe it mm-hmm. does. I don't, I don't know how it's going to work this year, but I think that that's going to be very interesting to track this year as well. Yeah, that's a good point. I think uh, not having to, so traditionally if you went to an interview on Saturday, you have to fly in on Friday, you know, do the happy hour with the mm-hmm. residency on Friday night, fly out on Saturday night, potentially. So it's your, you know, five hour, six hour interview day is really a, a two day affair. So now with everything being online, you can certainly fit in more interviews, you know, probably a lot more. Right. So I think you're right. The number needed to match is going to go up to like, from 11 to i'll say probably 15 or so it's just a wild guess but it's, yeah you know. so what's next for you me yep uh so in terms of my rotations yeah rotations applications so applications are due mid-october right yeah october 21st i think is the date and rotations keep going basically yeah so so I think traditionally, like, let's say if you didn't take a, a year off or something mm-hmm. and you're trying to get as many ortho letters as you can. So that's also something new this year is because of COVID and the limitations and being able to do aways and things like that, their AOA is saying like, oh, we don't need as many ortho letters anymore because perhaps students just haven't been able to have as much exposure. But I think earlier on, before uh, ERAS gets submitted, people are trying to get as many ortho letters as they can. And then after that, it's kind of dying down. Uh, in terms of doing ortho rotations. But for me, because I didn't have to worry that much about getting letters because I was able to do a research year, I'm push, I am push myself back to November. So I still have year S due October 21st. Tumor, I think, is around then. I might be on it during that time. And then I have my sub-I for trauma, wait for interview invites or whatever. I think those are probably going to take place in December, January. I don't think that's changed at all. And then next semester is just all the traditional fourth year stuff so i did radiology they're gonna do geriatrics emergency med anesthesiology electives and then graduation and interview virtual (laughs) and interviews are when i think december january december january okay and the match date's still the same yeah match hasn't changed at all so this is going to be a very interesting cycle because theoretically by november 23rd you know which interviews you have a shot at and i wonder if that's gonna so if all the interviews come out November 23rd and you have like a two day period with responding, do you think there's going to be a second wave of like, Oh, people like didn't accept the spot. So you can like send out more right? invites. I don't know. I think, I don't I think, know. I think there will be. Yeah. I think yeah there, there has be. to be. Okay. Yeah. It's going to be interesting, man. I want to hear more about it. I got to hear more from you later. Yeah. yeah. Check in again. Well, Keel, thanks for uh, joining us again. And, We'll check in with you later to see how you're doing in a few more months, probably. And hopefully you're still uh, killing it by then. So thanks again, Akil, real deal. Yeah, it was the greatest, greatest ortho podcast ever. So (laughs) (laughs) greatest. All right. right. And that'll do it for us. Thanks to Akil for coming on and giving us his perspective on this uh, COVID application cycle. If you like what we're doing, leave us five stars on your favorite podcasting platform you can check out all of our old episodes at our website orthotalkpod.com 
If you want to get in touch with us and tell us what we can change or how bad we're doing, you can do so at Twitter at OrthoTalkPod or at our Gmail, theorthopodcast at gmail.com. Thank you guys for listening. We'll have more coming for you later. And thank you for the opportunity.